following up on episode 825, uh, I want to say a little bit about the consistency assumption and what might happen if we didn't maintain it or honour it. But before I do, I would also like to report that the three days silence between episodes 38, 24 and 825 were three days in which I almost felt as if my brain was, as you might say, closing down, shutting down all other activity. I tried to write a few things. I made a couple of half-hearted attempts to record something. None of them would work. My brain was essentially saying, just be patient. This will come good. And I think that 8.25, for all that it's a very simple idea exceptionally simple idea, is really the coming good. It's basically saying, forget all the complicated theories that there might be about self-awareness, forget all the metaphysics, just understand self-awareness as simply consisting of one's own presence to oneself as a potential interlocutor in a conversation. And that's why when we sit alone with no other interlocutors, perhaps not even with a book or the radio or or a podcast, we can still talk to ourselves. We can still have conversations. Or some of us can. We've talked about aphantasia and people who apparently don't have conversations with themselves. But I certainly do. And that conversation is a conversation with my memory of what I've said in the past and my interaction with the things that I'm saying in the present. That is what self-awareness is. And I suspect, as I said in episode 25, that that's all it is. All right, draw a line under that. One other thing. When I talked about mud pools and blips coming up, I made the point that we often try to join the dots on the blips. We try to tell a story that connects the dots that we can see. And then we try to treat that as though it's reality. In other words, we form a connection, a story that joins up appearances. And we call the joining up of the appearances, reality. When what we should be doing is going beneath the surface and seeing what it is in the underlying mud that is the real connecting material for all these blips that appear on the surface, that erupt onto the surface. And there's a whole heap of stuff around that that we talked about to do with David Hume's theories on causality and other things. But today I'd just like to make an observation about the assumption of continuity. I said in 25 that one of the things that I might try to do or anybody might try to do or a chatbot might try to do if it was programmed to do it is to be consistent, is not to do or say things that are radically different from the things I've done or said before. And this is about choosing a story deciding upon what one's story should be and then trying to live it. And the Galen Strawson paper that I've mentioned before called About Narrativity, he says that 
This isn't a necessary assumption. We don't need to be consistent in that way. We could be what he calls episodic. We could just behave as we like without reference to whatever we've done before and just hope, as you might say, to wing it without there being a horizontal connecting story that joins the dots between the eruptions of blips on the surface of the mud pool, to use that analogy. That might be disconcerting for those around us. We might even find ourselves consigned to an asylum if our behaviour was sufficiently bizarre. But it isn't, in theory, impossible. It isn't even, in theory, undesirable. After all, why should we be consistent in that way? Who says? What universal law is it that requires it? We just tend to default to habitual behaviour that is at least mostly consistent, sometimes consistently evil, of course. So if that's the case, and we are no longer treating our own past as something that we should honour, but only as something that is there with a label round its neck like Paddington Bear saying, you said this, we could treat our own pasts not as if they were friends, but as, as if they were enemies, as if they were a rebuke. And when, going back to something else we've talked about, I might make a decision to take a right-angle turn in my life or even a, a complete about-face and do something utterly different from or profess beliefs that contradict or do things that are incompatible with what I've done before, all of which are perfectly possible. It's only habit that prevents it. Then in those circumstances, I will treat my own past not as a friendly contributor to my conversation, but potentially as a challenge to it, as a negation of it, as a critique of my current behaviour or vice versa. In fact, it's almost always going to be mutual. So I can then say, looking at what I've said in the past, I no longer agree with that. I think that what I said then was wrong and the reasons why it was wrong are these and the, what I've changed in the meantime is and so on. And a bit like, was it John or Charles Wesley who once said that he burned his sermons every seven years because it was a shame if he couldn't preach better sermons seven years later than he preached seven years before. And I think that for many of us, that is a very thoroughly healthy attitude to our own past and to our own writing. Not that one would destroy it, because that's like climbing up on a ladder into the tree and then kicking the ladder away, hiding one's traces, the sin of retrospective refinement, as I called it in Logic and Affirmation in 1987. We shouldn't do that. We should let people see the development of our thoughts insofar as of any interest to them. And it also helps to see it for ourselves, because we can then say, oh, I see why I got to that position. But what was wrong about it was this or this. So being something between episodic and narrative means being ready to take right angle turns, to turn about face, to disagree with, to be inconsistent with one's past, but not to ignore it because it is still a part of one's past. 
a little vignette for episode 26. Thank you for listening.